0: This is The Monologue Podcast, a platform for new writing where we showcase original monologues read by actors to give you that theatre feeling from the comfort of your earphones. Join us for another audio adventure, brought to you by Orange Theatre Company. Take your seat, settle in, and bask in the limelight. Season 4, Episode 1 is about to begin.
1: From Orange Theatre Company, this is the Monologue Podcast. I am Syra Ehrens, and with me is Daniela Down. We are your hosts.
0: If you're a regular listener, welcome back. And if you're new to this show, we are a short fiction podcast platform for new monologues. They're written by writers and read by actors, and every episode has its own theme. The
1: theme of this episode? Spotlight. The bright lights are on and illuminating all kinds of topics from love and death and everything that happens in between. At the end of last year, we hosted our first ever live event at Sower House Amsterdam. It was called Tiny Theatre because it brought bite-sized original stories to the stage. The monologues you will hear in this episode are recordings from that night, unedited in their live theatre glory.
0: Sadly, we couldn't include all the fabulous monologues from the night in this episode. And so this is a selection.
2: <laughs>
1: You're good? Yeah, well, I went where my mic had gone, but you have it. Yeah. Very professional. Alright. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to. Oh, it's
2: Tiny oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Theatre, a night of monologues! <laughs> Woo! <Sweet. laughs>
1: First of all, let me point out that the musician next to me, Marilyn Abels, is not hijacking the stage, looking for her moment of fame. Well, she is maybe a bit. No, we asked her to be here. Alright, Daniela, the floor is yours. Oh,
0: oh, oh, oh. Uh, yes, hi, I'm Daniela and I started up Monologue Podcast back during the first lockdown when all of us were feeling very creative. Anyway, we have kept it going. We're now on our third season. And right from when we started it, I wanted to do a live show, and tonight it is finally happening. So this evening, yeah, I know, it's very exciting. (laughs) This evening we have monologues for you. They are all inspired by the theme
1: Spotlight.
0: And we chose this theme for the evening because, well, it kind of resonates with us, but mostly because we thought it was open-ended and it could be interpreted in lots of different ways. And the writers that submitted did not disappoint. The sheer variety in the way that... The theme spotlight has been uh, interpreted is insane. You're going you're gonna to love it. There's a huge variety in the monologues. So without further ado, sit back, relax, drink up. It's time for our first monologue. <laughs> our next monologue is Chicken Bone by Chauncey Meeks Owens. He is a club manager at Sexy World, an actor and writer, in Philly and the NYC. His monologue is about the hilarity and sadness and the fragility of life. When asked what his biggest moment in the spotlight was, he said that'd be playing Othello. Here is Chicken
3: You know what sucks? It isn't having to cover a shift at work, or a pop quiz, or your mother-in-law, Coming to visit unannounced? No. It's never knowing when you're gonna go. You know? Kick the bucket, as it were. Pushing up daisies, giving up the ghost, etc. Yeah. I died last week. Not in a cool way. Like saving a baby from a burning building. Or in a back alley, a knife fight with Steven Seagal. No. <laughs> I choked on a chicken bone. I was at a KFC, laughing at a meme a little too hard, when the preposterous poultry got caught in the gaping orifice that was my pie hole. The headlines were wild and put me in the spotlight for all the wrong reasons, and it doesn't help that my name goes really well with the word chicken, because writers get horned up for alliteration. Who can forget such gems as Charles Chicken, or Charles from Chicago chokes on chicken? (laughs) Everything I ever was will be fixed on that moment until my bones have turned to dust. And there is nothing I can do about it. Who says journalism is dead? The last thing my friends were expecting, if I'm being honest, considering they thought I was vegan for a year. Oops. (laughs) Oops, <laughs> or or my mom, who's already been through so much. We got into a fight the week before, and I never got a chance to say I'm sorry. I just kept putting it off because there was always tomorrow. Tomorrow not being promised is such a cliche, but god damn, it's the truth. Cause I didn't see this shit coming. It hurts knowing she blames herself. Wondering why she never reached out, and I know she feels this way because it's how I feel too. Because of a chicken bone, she too will have to deal with what the papers say about it. Along with the kind, compassionate opinions of the internet. It all feels so cyclical. The Chicken, raised and slaughtered and sent who knows how many miles to land on my mouth only to be the very thing that kills me in kind. It's, it's hard to wrap my brain around it when I think of it in that way, you know? But hey, at least me and my spicy crispy friend got her 15 minutes, probably even helped KFC. So yeah, you're welcome Colonel Sanders. Thank you.
0: Our next monologue is The Boy Became a Submarine, about one man's leap from ease to discomfort. It's written by Kieran O'Flaherty, who's come all the way tonight from Manchester. And Kieran's an early career playwright who is interested about the versions of ourselves that we put out into the world and what influences them. When asked what his favourite moment in the spotlight was, he said, the moment where the bulb breaks and I'm no longer in it. So, to save Kieran from being in the spotlight any longer, the monologue will be performed by Pim van Amaronga, an American Dutch singer and dancer who's part of the Orange Theatre Company and who has just returned from performing on cruise ships in the States. His favorite moment in the spotlight was when he took his first bow on the A Chorus Line national tour in 2012. Here is, The Boy Became a Submarine.
4: Oh, you know that one, don't you? You must do. Oh, okay. Shall I do the actions again, jog your memory? Oh, come on! That was some of my best work. (laughs) All right, one final clue. I was better at it when I was younger. <laughs> I had proper veterans in the family to advise me. Real military men. Like <laughs> Did you ever used to go to school dressed up as someone from a book? I think I was the first nursery rhyme character that looked like they come straight from the trenches. It was a bit of an odd sight. <laughs> Sat next to Cinderella and Pingu the penguin. <laughs> Dad used to say it was a metaphor for hard work. Keep marching. Always follow your leader wherever he may go. He. Always. Why is it always a he? He wasn't correct, though. A little intellectual reading, a.k.a. Wikipedia search, revealed a different interpretation. It was a hot summer's night, and instead of getting down with 10,000 men, I wish, I was (laughs) sweating away in a 12th floor flat with no breeze. I mean, debating whether or not to... By, Have you seen it? I know, I know I had that thought, but I even had a few saved in the online basket, but uh, next to a copy of the Greta Thunberg story. Uh, <laughs> I resisted the urge. Uh, I mentally kept marching with the help of a few well-worn towels in my freezer. My mind wandered to that nursery rhyme. Dad's insistence that was it was an anthem for our times. Folly. It, it meant folly. Folly. A continued lack of any sense. Putting yourself out there in the face of visible danger. Do you remember the moment? The the specific second when your own primitive need to survive over everybody else kicks in? Well, mine, for me, it was it was early. Publicly straying away from the norm wasn't an option. Deviating wouldn't pay the bills, wouldn't allow me to grasp the things in life. I was meant to aspire to. The things family members of old couldn't attain but wanted so desperately for me to have. I didn't want to let them down. I love their affirmation too much, you see. Aren't you doing well? Yes, I am. Uh, You've been promoted again. Twice in one You're Good for you. Gold star for you. Anybody to share it with? Oh. You see, I'm sort of... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, such a way is good for you. (laughs) I learned how to submerge. To play a role that's acceptable to others. Studied hard. Worked hard. Thought about getting hard with Avi from Finance. My god, the way he could work those V number lookups. I wasn't a high flyer, like, but I aspired to be thirty thousand feet, and I, I did well for myself. Working for a big company with international reach, we set up beehives at the, at lunch on the roof. Some evenings, oh, it was part of our social responsibility bit. They looked stunning against the city skyline backdrop. Some evenings, I would go up there and take it in, sunsetting, the low hum of the buzzing bees, oh, a little chill in the air when I stayed out too long. I wanted to feel content. I wasn't, though. I had this perpetual voice in my head, a chimney cricket on my shoulder, letting me know that one day you'd get found out. <sighs> Work was modest about giving back, but they sponsored an electric car, a bus for Pride. Wanted as many happy outstaff members to get on board and represent. <laughs> I wasn't quite ready for that. I wanted to support but from behind the barriers. I even wore a t-shirt with those little short in the arms, but not completely a vest. I, uh, I cheered and clapped along. Even had a rainbow painted on my cheek. I felt cute. <laughs> the work bus came towards the end of the parade, ABBA blaring as it came around the corner. And my colleagues <laughs> were dancing on the top of the deck. As if the fate of Western civilization depended on it. I mean, they looked like they were having fun. (laughs) A really good time. I was so caught up in the moment, I didn't even notice anything at first. Not the distant chance coming, nor the people leaping over the barrier and sticking themselves to the sides of the bus. Others dived in front of the bus so fast that it had to make an emergency stop. Avi, from finance, nearly went headfirst over the top to the chorus of money, money, money. I felt a flash of anger. (laughs) Can't we have just one day as a community without trouble? Who were these bigots interrupting our fun and our moment? How dare you? I wanted to shout and call out. I wanted... to really let rip, but something stopped me. And for once, it wasn't my internal shame. That wasn't it. I started to hear what the protesters were saying. Really listen to them. What about our queer sisters and brothers where you pollute? Make love, not CO2. Guilty of climate change. Sponsorship won't wash away your sins. I looked at my colleagues in the bus, bemused as to what the protesters' problem was. All upset because the party was over. Run them over, one said, for for crimes against fashion, said another as people laughed. (laughs) I just watched. I couldn't submerge any longer. My hands on the barrier started to feel colder and then slowly the rest of my body too. I began to shiver and shake. My fingers we're pointing at them, but they should have been pointed in my direction, too. I'm just as bad. I wanted to scream. You can't see me, but I'm no different from them. Not really. I wiped tears from my face, smearing the rainbow in the process. Bloody fool. What did you think? You'd actually contribute today? Come on. Be a man. Do something. girl. <laughs> I started to step back, then a a bit further back. I can make a difference, I told myself. People in the crowd started to wonder what I was doing. Reckon I need a bit of space for a run-up before I leap that barrier and jump in and be part of that moment. I can do it. I know I can. We refuse to go fucking down.
1: Sometimes things go wrong at live events and it happened during our final monologue. Not the actor or the writer, but us. We fucked up. We forgot to press record. And so we've had to re-record the intro and the first few sentences of the monologue. Bear with us, it is still amazing.
0: Our final monologue is about finding self-acceptance in a courageous and unusual way. Happy Anniversary is a monologue written and performed by Sarah Fisser, a small town girl who's afraid of everything. Her words, not mine. Her favorite moment in the spotlight was when she was a bridesmaid at her sister's wedding. Here is Happy Anniversary.
5: Hi. Uh, Hi, I'm Linda. I'm uh, the wife of George Jr. And I'm uh, the daughter-in-law of uh, the happy couple, George and Genevieve. Uh, Mom and dad. (laughs) Um, Yeah, for those of you who know me uh, might know I'm not really one to be in the spotlight. I usually leave the talking up to George Jr. <laughs> He's much better at it. Um but uh you know 40 years of of marriage is something to be admired and, and celebrated and, and I would just love to to take this opportunity to really um express how grateful and um honored and proud I am of of you accepting me into the McCoy family. Um I'm I'm not from here. I'm I'm Dutch. Um and, and when I got engaged to George Junior, um I moved here to Connecticut. And uh yeah. I mean all my friends and family they live back home and so I d di- I didn't really know anybody and, and Genevieve you've you've just really taken me under your wing and you've 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 showed me how things are done here in Connecticut. And um, yeah, she even got me a dialect coach for my pronunciation, uh, which I'm still working on. Um, and, uh, And she has helped me decorate my home and she's very talented. She, she, uh, I never even knew I liked dark cherry oak furniture. <laughs> and, and now everything in my house is dark cherry oak. And I love it. It's, um, uh, thank you. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is I'm grateful. And, and that's why I'm so happy I can finally give you, uh, the grandchild you've been longing for so desperately. <laughs> um. I have to admit, me and my uterus, we almost cracked on the depression there, (laughs) but uh, thanks to Jesus, of course, and uh, and, uh, thanks to the fourth IVF circle, you are finally getting your grandson. (sighs) And I really hope that makes you happy. You, uh, you had your doubts about me in the beginning right Genevieve you uh, yeah. <laughs> you you would often remind me how uh, you always thought that George Jr would end up with his uh, ex-girlfriend Gigi and how sad you were when they broke up and, and and how how fun it was that both their names started with a G <laughs> uh, just like you and George senior and, and I'm sorry that my name doesn't start with a G Genevieve and I'm sorry I suck at tennis <laughs> and I'm sorry that um, you think I'm not the brightest bulb in the chandelier
2: <laughs> I, I heard that
3: and,
5: and I'm sorry that whenever I speak I, I just seem to bore you and I'm sorry that I had two miscarriages and it took me so long to get pregnant <laughs> and I'm sorry that The more I try, the the more you seem to disapprove.
2: (laughs) And I'm just so sorry that I'm just never going to be good enough for your precious stinks-out-of-his-mouth, Georgie (laughs) Bear. You think your son is God's gift to women? (laughs) The way you talk about him, it's like you want to fuck him. (laughs) Like, do you? (laughs) Do you, do you want to fuck your your, your supermodel-looking son? He's average-looking, Jenny. Okay? Look at him. His, his ears are too low and his eyes are too close together. I'm so sick of having to pretend I, I, I want some sort of prize horse when the only thing I won is a bunch of horse teeth. Yeah? And maybe I'm the one who feels short-changed. You ever thought about that? You haven't, Genevieve. <laughs> I think you're so fucking perfect. Well, show of hands here, who thinks Genevieve is an alcoholic?
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sit down, George. I'm not leaving. <laughs> I saw Genevieve at Thanksgiving getting so shit-faced... <laughs> next morning, she forgot and she put them on and she didn't say a word. (laughs) I'm not leaving, George. (laughs) Maybe, maybe you're not good enough for me, huh? Maybe you're not good enough for me. You're not nice, okay? And this is not the hormones, George this is how I really feel and I don't have a friable cervix okay I just don't want to have sex with you <laughs> yeah I'd rather jump out of that window than to have you touch me again with those with those weird hammer thumbs like
0: <clears throat>
2: no sir not again
5: <laughs> no and I'm not naming this baby George third
2: <laughs> I'm naming him her after my
5: father
2: <laughs> are just a bunch of rich, entitled, arrogant, judgmental assholes, and nobody here likes you! Not so boring now, had huh, Genevieve? The McCoy suck! George Sr., everybody here is talking about your hair plugs, okay? They start here. Looks weird. <laughs>
0: for your lesser-known quote from a famous play. Today's quote comes from Samuel Beckett's absurd tragicomedy Waiting for Godot. Originally produced in 1953, the play consists of conversations between two characters that are waiting for the arrival of mysterious Godot, but he never shows up. The characters are searching for the point of their existence, and they look to Godot for enlightenment. The lesser-known quote from this famous play is... That's how it is on this bitch of an earth. Why not slip it into your next dinner party conversation or sign off your next email with it? That's a wrap, folks. Syra, thanks for hosting. A round of applause, please, for the writers and actors who contributed to this episode. Big thanks to James Cook, who made our original theme tune and music. If you want to know more about his work, head to jamescookcomposition.com. This episode was edited by me, Daniela Down. Bye-bye. dewey, dach, Joygien. Auf Wiedersehen. Adios. And stay up to date with everything The Monologue Podcast by following us on Instagram or Facebook at The Monologue Podcast.